Hi, this is the podcast channel of Lighthouse Church in Ottawa, Canada. We are a family. We don't do life alone. We are about the one, each and every one. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Our hope and prayer is always for life change. Here is today's message. Be blessed as you listen. Romans chapter 8 is where I'll be. Where we were last week. From verse 18 to 21. Romans 8 is a great chapter of the Bible. I said it last week. I just can't get enough. It's an amazing chapter. You need to read that over and over again. My objective is to commit the entire chapter to memory. So maybe we should do a challenge, all right? Who can commit the chapter to memory in the next 14 days? We'll we'll do a bit of a contest and let's see who wins that one. Amazing, amazing book. Romans 8. We're going to be in Romans 8 from verse 18 to 21. Emerge. Before we read the Bible, put your hand on your heart and say, this word is going to bless me. This word is going to change me and it's going to transform me. It's going to help me. In Jesus' name, say to yourself that this is, this is going to help me. This is going to help me. This one today is going to bless you for sure. So the Bible says this, that 8 and 18 to 21. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For the earnest expectation of creation, of the world, of the earth, eagerly awaits the revealing, the emergence, the manifestation, the unveiling, the release of the sons of God. So there's a biblical concept of present and future relevance, okay? So sometimes you see a prophecy in the Bible and it speaks to today, the current season, but also speaks to a season in eternity or at the end of time, as it were. So for example, the Bible would often tell us that Jesus Christ tells the people, that the kingdom of God is within you, or that the kingdom of God has come. But also, we know that the Bible says the kingdom of God is to come in the future. So there is a manifestation, there is a dimension of the unfolding of God's kingdom that is present, that is happening now. Every time that we do anything by the help of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God has come. But ultimately, in the future, the kingdom of God would come at the end of time, when Jesus rules over the whole world all right, as king of everything. That's the future kingdom, but we see dimensions in the present and in the future, all right? It's a biblical concept. Also, there's a biblical concept that applies around salvation, a future and a present relevance. We are saved today. The day you give your heart to Jesus, you're saved. You are being saved and you will be saved. Ultimately, your glorification, all right? When you're with Jesus in your glorified state, that's the ultimate salvation, all right? And so in a similar way, the text we read today talks about the fact that creation is eagerly awaiting this future manifestation of the sons of God. The day that the, the people of God will be unveiled to all of creation. So there's a future relevance to it and that's the context here. But there is also a very, actually, an extremely present relevance to that in our dispensation. All right? In our dispensation. So the world is awaiting the emergence of the sons of God. The emergence of the sons of God. So the text speaks to a future ultimate revealing of God's sons, but also speaks to an emerging of God's sons and daughters in the world today. The world is waiting on us to emerge. Why? 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 Because the world has a problem that only you and I can solve. 
And that's the problem of darkness. Darkness. The Bible says darkness in Psalms number 74 and verse number 20. He says, remember your covenant promises. For the land is full of darkness and violence. There is darkness upon the earth today. There is confusion. People don't know their left from their right. People don't, can't tell front what is up from what is down. There is so much wickedness in the land today. And there is only one remedy, and that's light. So the world has a problem only you and I can solve. So Jesus comes on the scene and tells us, Matthew 5 from verse 16 there on, he says that you are the light of the world. The only reason why he would make us the light of the world is because the world needs light. There is nothing, <laughs> there's nothing great about being something that nobody needs. The world is in darkness, and the world needs light. Okay, when there is darkness, everybody looks for light. When there is darkness, the only thing you're looking for <laughs> is light in that season. Remember your covenant promises in Psalm 74 verse 20 because what the land is full of darkness. The land is full of confusion. We don't know what is right from what is wrong. We don't know what is up from what is down. We don't know where to turn. There's confusion in the land. All right. Darkness also means ignorance. There's ignorance in the land. And the Bible says that the whole earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, with the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. But there's ignorance in the land today. There's a lack of vision, darkness. There's godlessness in the land. So the Bible says that the world around you, the creation of God, is eagerly. <laughs> I, I, you need to understand that the Bible says it's an eager expectation. It's a earnest expectation of the creation. It says that eagerly awaiting. Another translation says that they're standing on tiptoe, yearning to see the revealing of the sons of God. The Bible says that saviors shall arise out of Zion. Saviors will come out of Zion. So the Christian is waiting for you and I to stand up. In Isaiah chapter 60 from verse 1 to 3, the Bible says, arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Darkness shall cover the earth. Gross darkness, deep darkness will cover the people of the earth. But the Lord will arise over you. That's what it says and in verse 3. It says that Gentiles, unsaved people, people who are not Christians, atheists, all right, agnostics, people who have nothing to do with God will come to your light and kings, leaders, presidents, prime ministers, senators, members of parliament, monarchs would come to the brightness of your horizon. The reason why is in verse 2. It says because darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness would cover the people. But for us, you and I, who are the light of the world, the Lord will, he will arise over us and his glory will be seen upon us. So I'm here to talk to you about Emerge because guess what? You are the hope of the world. You might not know it, but you are the hope of the world. There is no other plan. There's no plan B. The only plan that God has for this world is the church. It's you and I. So the days are dark like the days of Saul. But David's are emerging. In the days of Saul, the enemy would boast <laughs> publicly, threaten the people of God and all the people of Israel. And even the giants of Israel, including the king of Israel, would go into hiding. And those days were over as soon as David came on the scene. I want to let you know that the days of darkness boasting is over. 
is over. Emerge. Emerge. There are Goliaths that are about to be silenced in territories. There are new grounds, new frontiers, new territories that will be taken, okay, because the sons of God are going to emerge. Listen, I had spoken to us about this over the past few months, that what the Lord has said to me was clear, that there is a revival on the horizon. It's a global revival, all right? But it would also be pioneered by young people. You're seeing young people rise up, and we're seeing change driven by young people, all right? So you need to emerge because all of creation, all of humanity is eagerly waiting for the saviors that are meant to rise up out of Zion. But there's something about this. The Bible says that for creation eagerly awaits the manifestation of the sons of God. Of the sons of God. Of the sons of God. I want to let you know that there is a very deliberate use here of children or sons of God because it's a progression in your walk with God. The people that the earth and all of creation and all of humanity is putting their hopes in and hoping to emerge are not believers. It doesn't say the servants of God. It doesn't say the followers of Jesus. It doesn't say the disciples of Jesus. It says the sons of God. There is an importance to that. And there is a progression because it is in the sonship dimension that the brightness and the radiance of our brilliance, okay, of our light shines brightest as sons of God. So you start out your journey as a believer. You start out as a believer. You give your heart to Jesus. The Bible says, with the heart, man believes. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Once you do that, you become a believer. You put your faith in Jesus Christ. And a believer, all that happens to a believer as a believer is able to have their faith in Jesus. They become justified, like Paul has been saying to us in Romans, early parts of the book, by faith. You put your faith in Jesus. You believe in him and on him and... By the reason of that faith that you put in Jesus, you become a believer. You will go to heaven. You will make it to heaven. All right? You will. But that's not enough. Because, you see, believers are good. They will populate heaven. But God cannot do much with believers. God cannot trust believers because they are at the very elementary stage of their walk with him. You believe in Jesus, that's great. But you need to understand that that's not where the journey stops. The Bible is not looking, or the, word, the world is not looking for the emergence of believers. No, he is not. Believers have their faith in Jesus. They are justified. So you would make it to heaven. You've given your heart to Jesus. You're happy. But that is not where the journey stops. You need to proceed from there and become a disciple. A disciple. A disciple is a disciplined follower of Jesus Christ. And this is what the Bible says. Stay with me in John chapter 8 and verse 31. John 8 and 31. The Bible says that Jesus said to the people who believed in him. They, so these were believers. Believed in him already. He says to them, what? You are truly my disciples. If. That's a conditional statement. So you're a believer. But he says you are truly my disciple. If. If what? If you remain faithful to my teachings, then you are my disciple. In other words, you don't just believe, but you keep on believing. Not only that, but you actually do the things that you hear. 
he that hears my word and does it is blessed. Okay, so believing is not enough. It's the doorway, but you don't camp at the door. And that's what many people do. I want to say the majority of Christians today are just believers. They're not disciplined followers of Jesus because discipleship comes at a cost. At a cost. Jesus said, if any man must follow me, let him first deny himself, then take up his cross and start to follow me. That comes at a cost. So you need to move. You need to migrate from this company of believers to the company of disciples. Migrate from the company of believers to the company of disciples. Discipleship comes at a cost. Jesus said to the people who had already believed in him, you are truly, truly my disciples if you remain faithful. It's a conditional statement. So you can be a believer and not be a disciple. According to this text, Disciples are disciplined followers of Jesus. Discipleship requires you to remain faithful. And the proof of discipleship is this, is that you will know by being faithful to my teachings, you will get to know something which he calls the truth. And the result of that is that you'll be free. So let me ask you a question. Are you free? Are you free? Because that is proof of discipleship, freedom, liberty. Are you free? And thank God we talked about that last week. Free indeed. Are you free? That's what the end game of discipleship is, is that you will know the truth. The truth that you know will set you free or will make you free in the New King James Version. So if you're a disciple, you continue in the word. You walk with God. Jesus said, you're going to be my disciple? Fantastic. Let me just tell you the cost. Deny yourself. Now carry your cross. Let's go. And follow me. And because you're walking with him and you're following him, and like his disciples did, okay, the Bible says that when he talked to the masses, that Jesus would speak in parables, mysteries. He would come back to his disciples and then he would reveal to them. You know, the disciples asked him, Master, why do you talk in parables to the people? He said, because unto you, you as a disciple, it has been given to know. The mysteries of the kingdom. To you, it has been given to know the mysteries, the truths, the pillars, the revelations of the kingdom. And when you know that, it would make you free. So when you're a disciple of Jesus and you walk with the Lord, what happens to you is that you start to become full of truth. That your heart starts to be flooded with light. And ultimately, the truth you know would make you free. You walk in freedom. You walk in liberty. You're liberated. Things that used to oppress you before don't have any hold over your life, have no grip over your life anymore because you're now walking in the liberty. You are a disciplined follower. You follow closely. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. And following Christ is not easy, believe it or not. You must graduate from being a believer to being a disciple. God cannot do much with believers. I'm sorry. Where you start to become useful is when you are practically walking as a disciple with God. And you shall know the truth. The truth will make you free. Are you free? If you're not free, question whether you're a disciple or a believer. You might be between that first stage and the second stage. You need to move up. You need to step up. If you remain faithful to my teachings, not just hearing it, but the doing of my teachings, then you will know the truth. The truth you know will set you free. But that's not where this ends. That's the second step. 
Because the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 1 that knowledge puffs up. <laughs> so as you become a disciple, you start to walk with the Lord. You start getting flooded with revelation. Your heart starts to get puffed up. You've cast out a few devils. You feel like you've arrived. You have a few things. You have a few understanding, you know, understanding of some scriptures. You can put some scriptures together. You think you have arrived. The Bible says knowledge puffs up. And so then it moves you to the next stage, which is the stage of a servant. And what the stage of a servant is, is that it humbles you. So that you don't get puffed up by all the knowledge. You're now free. You don't take advantage of the liberty that you have in Christ. You don't abuse that liberty. You understand that the heart of the kingdom of God is service. And so the mother of James and John comes to Jesus and says, let me negotiate with you, master. I want my two sons, one of them to sit on your right, one of them to sit on your left-hand side in your kingdom. And Jesus says, listen, do you know what you're talking about? Are you able to drink of the cup that I'm able to drink and of the baptism? <laughs> and obviously without understanding anything, they say, yes, we're able. And James becomes the first person to die for the gospel in the New Testament. And John suffers long. He lives long, but suffers so much. But Jesus goes on to tell us something and says, look, in our kingdom, the person who is greatest is the person that serves. Are you serving? And I'm not talking about you serving in church because service is not about what you do. It's about the heart that does it. You might be serving and you think that you're, you're doing God a favor. You might think that you're just bringing your skills, you know, but it's the heart. Do you have the heart of a servant? Do you understand that no matter how God uses you, you, even if you raise the dead every Monday, that you're still a servant? Or do you then carry a big Bible and then you have five people following you up and down, people cleaning your hair for you? You need to understand that you are called to serve no matter where God uses you, no matter the gifts that God has put in you. Actually, the gifts he has put in you are put there to serve people. Believer, disciple, servant. Servants have no will of their own. Have you mortgaged your will to the will of God? Have you done that? Do you serve with humility? Jesus says, the least, the one who serves will be the greatest in my kingdom. Are you faithful? Do you recognize that you are just a servant? Do you get easily offended? Or you understand that you're just a servant? With your knowledge and truth and your freedom that you found as a disciple and the demons you can cast out and the healings you pray for the sick, everyone is healed. Now the anointing of God is on your life and you're walking with God. God has promoted you as a disciple. You need to remember that you're a servant. What is the will of the Father? You're full of revelation. Can you serve? I serve at the pleasure of my Father. You know, I told my wife a few weeks ago that I got drafted into this assignment as part of the RCCG, Ottawa zone, there are five churches in our zone in Ottawa. There are 10 churches in Ottawa, but there's five in our particular zone. And I was told, I wasn't asked, I was told, I'm going to become the secretary for the zone. And I'm like, <laughs> now if there's one thing I don't want is to be the secretary because I'm not gifted in administration. All right? Thank God for Pastor Tola. Shout out to Pastor Tola. She makes my life a lot easier by helping me take care of all admin issues in church. This is not my strong area. I wasn't asked. Someone just told me, by the way, you're the new secretary. I'm like, I am? Really? Me? So for like three weeks, I was complaining to my wife. Every time we had a phone call, I would get on the phone and tell my wife, I, said, I don't understand what it is. These people want to kill me. Take minutes. That's the last thing I can do in life. I don't enjoy it. I'm not good at it. I, I, don't, I never took notes in class. How am I supposed to take minutes of, of a meeting? I was whining. But then the Lord reminded me, and I remember that I'm a servant. And I'm not saying this to in any way, shape, or form, by the way. Let me just make this clear. Say that I have apprehended 
this level or have attained this level of servant, okay? Sometimes we bounce in and out of different levels. This is just an example of God reminding me. And so I made up my mind that I'm going to do this so well. It's coming at a huge cost to me. I don't have the time, but I'm going to do this so well as if I was doing it unto the Lord. And because that's exactly what you do. The Bible says, whatever you do, do as unto the Lord. Service. Are you too big to do certain things? God will test your heart. God will test your heart. And Jesus says in John chapter 12 and 26, he says, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. And if anyone serves me, him my father will honor. So Jesus is saying that one of the things that servants do is that they stand beside their masters. They're not off on their own agenda. Because some of the things that we do sometimes, we're pursuing our own agenda. And the master is looking at, where are you? You're supposed to be here. He says, where I am, you will be also. So the question of service is, are you on the same page with Jesus? The question of discipleship was, are you free? But for service, are you on the same page? Has God turned pages and you're still on page number eight because that's where you would like to be? Or you're moving with him, even when it's not what you prefer to do. Are you a servant? And Bible says this about service, that him that serves, my father will honor. So it's not your job to honor yourself. It's not your job to chase titles. It's not your job to look for the most esteemed positions. The Bible says, I, I know who's serving. And my father will honor that person. Can you be trusted with tasks? Would you get it done? I'm not talking about tasks in the church. Look, that's elementary, but tasks that God will put on your heart. If God tells you, for example, from, the ne- from today for the next two weeks, I want you to pray for two hours for your church. Can God trust you that you will do it? Are you a servant? Because servants don't get a voice. They don't get to pick where they want to serve. You go where you're told. You serve in the kitchen. You serve in the, in the king's palace. It doesn't matter. But you go where you're told. Can you be trusted? And it's not to get the job done. Remember that it's the heart that does the job. How you do it. Do you do it grumbling or do you do it with a heart of this is a privilege to serve? And when you leave that level, so you start out as a believer, you attain to discipleship. Ultimately, you have to end up as a servant. Otherwise, you become proud and get puffed up. You move up from that level, you go to a level of friend. And Jesus Christ told his disciples, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends because a servant does not know what his master does. But you, whatever I hear my father say, that I have told you. I don't keep secrets from you anymore. Masters don't tell their servants everything, but we now have a relationship. It's intimacy. Are you intimate with the Lord? Do you have a personal, I mean like a friendship with God? The Bible says that God spoke to Moses face to face as a man spoke to his friend. I think that's Exodus 33 and 11. Face to face. And so Moses, listen, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. He wasn't there when the earth was created. How did he know? The hallmark of friendship is secrets. Does God share secrets with you? That's how you know if you're a friend of God. Does God tell you things that nobody else knows? Does God tell you things that nobody else is aware of? Does God tell you things about your nation that are not even your business, but just because he can? Does he tell you things? Friends are custodians of secrets. Friends are custodians of secrets. People who walk with God closely and intimately, they follow him. Even if God does not give them a task, they will still be with him. Because it's friendship. They spend time with him. Their heart is for him. Their heart is for what he wants. But 
when you've attained all this, you end up landing in that place of sonship. You cannot attain sonship. You can't. It's not possible. If you haven't been a believer, a disciple, a servant, a friend. No. The Bible says that all of creation, all of creation, all of creation is eagerly awaiting the manifestation, not of disciples or friends, but of sons. Those who have gained stature with God. Who have gained rank with God. Those who have done business, who have transacted with Him for a while. Whose image is the reflection of God. Jesus said, look, don't look for God. If you see me, you have seen God. I'm a son. I'm a spitting image of my Father. That's sonship. That's not friendship. That's not service. That's sonship. Those who, when people see you, they say, you are like God. They saw Paul in certain cities and the Bible says that they wanted to worship him because of the grace, the dimensions of God that he brought to bear upon territories. He was a son of God. He Listen, the Bible says unto us a child is born. So children are born. When you give your life to Christ, you become a child of God. But son, unto us, a son is given. Sons are given. You must attain stature before you can be called a son of God. And before you can be given, before God can release you to do anything, you would have spent time with God. You gain ranking. The Bible says that the government shall be upon his shoulder. The government cannot be upon the shoulder of servants. No, it's only sons that can carry that responsibility. They can administer. They can rule. They can walk into territories. And in two weeks, they turn the whole place upside down for God. That is the stature of a son. And so some of us, we've been raising in church. I mean, just spiritual prematures. You've been in church for 15 years. You're still a believer. You haven't even moved onto discipleship. But the Bible says that the whole earth is waiting for you to emerge. Waiting for you to show forth. Some of us are apostles in the marketplace. You're an apostle to, you know, the technology industry. You're an apostle to fashion, an apostle to entertainment. You're an apostle in the marketplace. You don't have to carry a mic and preach the gospel for you to be an apostle. You are sent by God to bring his kingdom into every area that you have a sphere of influence. But that is the stature of sonship, not servants or not even disciples. You need to gain rank, broad shoulders that can carry governments. A son is the image of his father. When you see a son, sometimes when you see children, you say, you are the son of this man. Why? Because Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus was the express image of God. The invisible attributes of God were seen through him. He's, if you've seen me, you have seen the father. Don't look any further. Can God say that about you? Are you a son? Sonship is the brightest expression of God's people. So move on. Do you want to emerge? You must scale the hurdle of discipleship to the point where you can become a servant, where you can become a friend of God, where God can trust you with secrets. But guess what? Sons have inheritance. Friends don't. When you're a son of God, you leave a lasting legacy. You leave, you carry the essence of God. There are not many sons, I can tell you that much. I want to say that the majority of people end up between believers and discipleship. Some never even make it to discipleship. 
when you come to church and all your prayer points are about yourself, you are a believer, you have not, you're not even a disciple yet. Every prayer point, I need a house, I need a car, I need a new job, they're not paying me enough, I don't like my boss, God, kill my boss. You know, <laughs> all that stuff. You're just a believer. You're not even moved. God cannot use you. You're not useful yet. But when you scale to the point of discipleship, you start to follow God and you're faithful, then He'll start to release gifts into your life. When you start to see gifts manifest in your life, then you're entering that phase of discipleship. Things that you didn't have before, He gives you. Graces that you never had, He bestows upon you. And as you use that, it has a tendency to puff up. And so God will make you a servant. He will send you on errands that you would rather not do. But you are a prisoner of the will of God. Don't ever forget that. I am, a priest. I am constrained by the will of God. I'm a servant. No matter what, if I pastor 500 people or 50,000 people, my job is to serve. It would never change. The day it changes, I'm out of his employ. Then you become a friend. Secrets. Secrets. Moses was a friend of God. Abraham, God said, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, but let me talk to my friend first. Can God say that about you? Would God talk to you before he does things? Or everything that God does in your life surprises you? That's a sign that you're not a friend yet. You're probably still a disciple or a servant. Walk your way up. And then you become a son. Sons initiate kingdom matters. Sons take government. The Bible says the government shall be upon his shoulders. Sons build kingdom. They think kingdom. They think their father's business. Jesus said at 12, he said, I must be about my father's business. What else am I going to be doing? You think I'm going to be asking the scribes in the temple about what are the seven ways to prosperity? He says, no, I must be about my father's business. So sons are images of their father. And the Bible says that the whole earth is looking for the manifestation of you and I. But we are no good to the whole earth, maybe to a little territory we are, but to the whole earth, we are no good unless we become sons. We have to mature, gain stature. And I'm telling you that this revival that God is working, that God is doing in this season, sons are being brought up. They are men like David rising up, young, okay? But they are sons because they have done business with God. They have killed lions, they have killed bears. Don't ever think that because he's just shown up on the scene, he's just been on the scene. He's been on the scene for a long time. All the men that came to David, he raised them up. Men of stature, who would kill 300 men at once. Liberated the people of God completely from the Philistines. Why? Because that's what sons do. Sons can fight with the right hand and the left hand. Sons don't back away. Sons don't run. They take territories. Romans chapter 12, verse 6. The Bible says, Having then gifts, differing according to the grace that is given unto us, let us use that. Whatever God has put in you, that's going to be your key for emergence. If you're given the gift of prophecy, Paul says prophesy. The gift of ministry, he says use it. If you're given the gift of teaching, use it. Exhortation, exhort. The gift of giving, give with liberality. Of leading, lead with diligence. Of showing mercy, do it cheerfully. If giving you the gift of innovation, let me bring it to your context. Innovate. Don't say I'm too young. If David said he was too young, all of Israel will be finished. Stand up now and emerge. And emerge. Emerge and expel darkness. Not just in your life, around you. 
When Jesus showed up into a territory, the demons came to him and said, why are you here? Please move. Leave this place because we know you're going to send us out. That's what a son does. My prayer for you is that you would emerge. You will stand up. There is a destiny that God has for you. Move out of believing, disciple. Move into sonship. Let God be able to trust you with government. Let his administration of his kingdom matters be upon your shoulders and you will carry it with responsibility because guess what i must be about my father's business wherever you are the first step is believing put your faith in jesus not giving your heart to jesus do it today because guess what the whole world including those that are not saved the hope of the world is those of us who are saved because we are the light of the world jesus says a city on the hill you cannot be hit make a decision today Make a decision today. Wherever you are, if you're making a decision, you want to start your journey. I celebrate you and I congratulate you. But I also want to encourage every other person here, every one of us watching today or who listen to this later, there is a decision to be made, which is that you want to move from whatever level you are. If you're, if you're a believer, that you want to move on. If you're a disciple, that you want to become a servant. If you're a servant, you want to become a friend. You're a friend, you want to become a son. But a son is all other things, including being a son. And my prayer is that God will give you the grace. That the Spirit of God will come and highlight upon you. That in this season, He will trouble your sleep. He will give you no rest until you stand out, until you emerge. That you will stand firm. That your voice will be heard. That you would not say, I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm too busy. That you would realize that all of creation is eagerly awaiting your manifestation. Is eagerly awaiting the day that you show forth. Because there's something in your hand. That only you can bring to the table. Let Daniels arise. From people that are hearing me right now. Let Esther's rise up, oh God. Let Joseph's arise in their generation. In the name of Jesus, let people like John the Baptist show up. People who are new on the scene. People who would amaze people and wonder, where has this guy come from? But the Bible says that he was in the wilderness until the day of his manifestation to Israel. So I speak that the days of your manifestation are here. The days of your emergence are here in the name of Jesus. My command, my charge to you is emerge, 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 emerge. Stand out, arise, and shine because your light has come. We're not asking you to shine. We're asking you to arise. You would naturally shine. Why? Because your light has come in the name of Jesus Christ. I thank you and I give you praise, O oh God. I celebrate you and I honor you. For in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, we have prayed. Can I see an amen and an amen and an amen and an amen? God bless you. Emerge. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe to our podcast channel. If you want to be a blessing to others, share the message. To stay connected, Download our app and follow us on Instagram at Lighthouse Church Ottawa. We love you.